أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبه نستعين صلى الله عليك يا سيدي يا مولاي يا رسول الله وعلى أهل بيتك المنومين صلى الله عليك يا سيدي يا مولاي مولاي وابن مولاي يا أبا عبد الله يا رحمة الله الواسعة ويا باب نجاة الأمة يا غريب يا مذنوم يا أتشان كربلا ما خاب من تمسك بكم ولا من من لجأ إليكم سادتي يا ليتنا يا ليتنا كنا معكم فنفوز والله قال الله العظيم في محكم كتابه الكريم والقول كالحق ونأستق القائلين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم الذين آمنوا وتتمئن قلوبهم بذكر الله ألا بذكر الله تتمئن القلوب أمنا بالله صدق الله العلي العظيم صلى الله عليه وسلم Amongst the most important rituals to perform within Islamic tradition is the performance of the ritual of what is known as a dhikr or in other words to be in a state of constant remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and across all different Muslim theological, legal, jurisprudential, spiritual, philosophical schools, there is this stress on being in a state of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to seek from God that He allows us to be amongst one of those who are known as the dhakirin. In one of the du'as of Imam Zain al-Abideen in As-Sahifat al-Sajjadiyah, we say, Allahumma j'alni min al-dhakirin. Oh Allah, allow for me to be amongst those who always utter your remembrance. And in a verse within the whole of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرُكُمْ If you remember me, then I will remember you. But there have been a lot of discussions in regards to what exactly does it mean to be in a state of God's remembrance. And you're going to find within different mystical and spiritual schools that they stay to always be in a state where you're reciting literally the adhkar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For instance, stating, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah. To call out Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. And to utter the dhikr, the remembrances of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until you no longer can do it anymore. And the idea that constant recitation or constant performance of any ritual will eventually become a part of your existence and a part of your being. And which is why you'll also find that different scholars throughout history will recommend, for instance, 
carrying a sibha, a tasbih, like within your pocket at all times. When you're riding on the train, when you're driving in the car, when you're walking on the streets, and there's nothing else going on, instead of looking up at a daze and wondering what life is going to be like today, that you pull out your prayer beads and you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by literally reciting His praises. But remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not solely by the recitation or the singing of our tongues, but the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is meant to be a means by which we feel contentment. We build a relationship with our Creator, this relationship that never breaks. Because when you are in a state of remembering something really often, that means you think about them at all times, at every second, at every moment within your life. If you're preparing for an exam, you're going to be thinking about that exam all the time till the extent that you start dreaming about passing or failing or do performing that exam. That when you are in love with something to the extent that you can't stop thinking about it, and its remembrance always comes to the forefront of your mind, is something that you built a relationship with over a really long journey. And similarly, when you fear something, if you're scared of something, like that exam, you're going to be thinking about it so much that you're afraid to fail, for instance, or you're afraid to not be successful in the performance of whatever that task is. Which is why that famous tradition from the Prophet ﷺ states, لا يكون مؤمن مؤمنا حتى يكون خائفا That a believer cannot be a believer until he or she is in the state of really intense hope and really intense fear. Hope in God's mercy, but fear of falling and committing an act of vice or sin that's going to allow for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be upset with us. And again I say that God's remembrance is not only limited toward the recitation or the singing of the praises with our tongue, but it really requires action. Amongst the greatest, amongst the greatest reciters of the Qur'an, in terms of their style, in terms of their beauty, in terms of the amount of verses that they would recite and the amount of verses that they memorized within early Islamic history, a man by the name of Abdul Rahman ibn Muljim, who was a memorizer of the Quran. He was also the killer of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Amongst the reciters of the Quran and the memorizers of the Quran is a man by the name of Shimr bin Dujoshan, alayhi la'a'in Allah, the killer of Abi Abdullah al-Hussein. It's about allowing for your recitation with the tongue to transcend to your heart. And it's about knowing that God's remembrance has the potential to elevate your station, elevate your status. But more than anything, it allows for you to focus on that which is the most important. And it takes a lifetime to be in a state of perpetual remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with someone who has tasted the enjoyment of being in God's proximity, there's no experience like that. The first time your eyes bear witness to the 
sight to the Holy Kaaba, for instance. Anyone who's experienced their first sight of the Holy Kaaba, you can't control your emotions. You can't control your tears. Because you feel the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that moment. Because we're physically in the state of proximity toward His home, but we know that God doesn't live in that house. But just because of what it represents in terms of symbolism, all of a sudden it transcends directly to this vessel and it allows for our body to reap the benefit of seeing that most beautiful sight. Similarly, when someone is in the midst of real supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you're really pleading and making dua to God, and you're not just reading it and looking and waiting and trying to trying to see how many more pages are left before the reciter finishes du'a command. On Laylatul Qadr, when we were over here, on the 23rd of the month of Ramadan, I know a lot of you were over here, we recited du'a Joshin al-Kabir. And du'a Joshin is a really, really, really beautiful du'a. And I was sitting right over there along that wall, and the du'a is really long, and I know I was reciting a portion of it as fast as I could, when I was taking a break and I let someone else recite, you would look around the room and everyone was like skimming through their iPhones like, oh man, what is this dog going to end, man? It's like a hundred pieces. <laughs> or you see like in the mosque on Thursday nights, Dua Kumar is being recited. Everyone knows how long Dua Kumar is going to be. It's maybe like 20 and 30 minutes. You can see people flipping through the pages. Four pages left, oh man. So it's never going to end. I don't mean that type of du'a. I mean when you're really fixated. When you're really focused on God's remembrance. For instance, when you're going through a hardship. When you're going through a difficulty. In a hadith al-Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, Ya addi, i'raf ilayya firrakha, a'arifuka fishiddah. Really, really beautiful. Ahadith al-Qudsi is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He speaks directly toward the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but is not within the verses of the whole Qur'an. Meaning He speaks directly toward the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and He speaks in the first person. And He states, O oh my servant, remember me at a time of happiness, and I'll remember you during the time of difficulty. It's really easy to remember God when we're going through hard times. It's really difficult to remember God when everything is perfectly fine. Whenever anything bad happens, Oh Allah, why did you put us in this difficulty? But when the good things happen, you say, Look what I've done. And we're completely negligent and forgetful of God's remembrance. So in this tradition, he states that if you remember me during the good times, I got you during the bad. I'm going to remember you. And to go back toward this notion that when you are in a state of perpetual remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's this feeling and this emotion that overcomes you during those days of Ramadan, the first time you see the Holy Kaaba, when you're under the dome of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salatu wasalam, when you're on the plains of Arafah, there are certain times, there are certain dates, there are certain moments during certain difficulties, during trials and tribulations, that presence that you feel of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that everybody desires to feel at all times. But it's challenging. And it's very difficult 
to get to that level and to sustain that level all the time. But it's about making an effort. And it's about pushing forward. And it's about falling. And it's about getting back up. And it's about realizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is open. And that His doors are open. And that His compassion is vast. And His generosity is consistently giving. And though we are poor, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-wealthy. Ya yuhannas antumul fuqara'u in Allah. Wallahu huwa al-ghaniul hamid. That, O oh, humanity, you are poor, but God is the all-wealthy. And He is the all-praiseworthy. To seek from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He will place His remembrance in our hearts so that we're in that state of never being forgetful of Him. And for today's discussion, inshallah, I want to speak about the importance of the dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on three important dimensions. The first dimension is in terms of understanding what exactly does it mean when we state to perform dhikrullah. What exactly does it mean when we state God's remembrance? As mentioned within the whole Quran and within the traditions of Ahlul Bayt. The second dimension of my discussion, inshallah, is in regards to understanding the different levels of God's remembrance as outlined in our ahadith. And thirdly and finally, in terms of understanding what God's remembrance yields for us in our day-to-day lives, and how it can be a means for us to enter into the state of the awliya, the beloveds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you guys can all move forward and fill in the spaces with one salawat ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. <laughs> the brother is in the back. If it's not comfortable, there's a lot of space right here in the middle, like a lot of space. Like you can like spread out your feet. You can like live like kings. But the first phase of our discussion, inshallah, is in terms of understanding again what exactly does it mean when we state to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, the term in the Arabic language is what is known as dhikrullah, or literally God's remembrance. But when you go toward the discussion of theologians and scholars of the whole Qur'an and traditions of Ahlul Bayt, they state that the dhikrullah or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance is what is known as at-tanzih or at-tasbih, meaning to separate who we are and who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Or in other words, to demonstrate our distance from God because when we understand exactly who we are, when we understand that we are a dependent creation on Him, then by virtue of that, we can understand His independence from us. Or in other words, we understand the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the omnipotence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then when you take a look at yourself, you see that, I am a creation who is limited by time, and I'm a creation who is limited by space. And I can only get so tall, and I can only get so short, and I can only get so skinny, and I'm only going to live a certain amount of years in this world. I am limited by so many different dimensions, and through understanding your limitations, you know that you need to submit to someone who is not bound by any limitations. 
And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which is why when we state something like, Subhanallah, it's often translated as, All glory be to God. But in reality, that's not what it means within our tradition. It means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not bound or not limited by any limitations. He is Allah and I am the one who is to humble myself toward Him because I am shackled by all of these boundaries. So one group of theologians, they state that the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to understand that you are a lowly slave in God's majestic kingdom. And the second group of scholars not necessarily disagree, but they add in addition to this particular discussion that to perform the dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is again to be in a state of praising God and praising God always. Oftentimes when we speak about the word praise in the way that we understand it to be, we speak of the Arabic word madah, meme dal ha. While the word for praise in the Arabic language, in terms of when we're talking about the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's athana'i wal hamd, meaning to praise and to be in a state of thankfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me give you an example and explain to you why this is important. If someone comes up to you and says, Masha Allah, you have a really nice face. You're going to be like, wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate that praise that you gave to me. To praise someone to their face because of how good looking they are, mashallah, so many good looking people, is not due to that individual doing anything. It's rather something that they have been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If someone comes and tells you, MashaAllah, your beard is very nice, you can say, thank you so much, I appreciate that. And you can say, I grew it all by myself. <laughs> but at the end of the day, not every one of our beards grow like this brother's over here. MashaAllah. <laughs> but you've been gifted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you that blessing of allowing your beard to grow that way. So it's important to understand that what we are given in terms of physical gifts and we are praised for it is not due to any of our actions, is not due to any of our efforts, but it's a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. When we are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no one gave him any of those gifts. When we are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm trying to explain is the English word for praise and the difference when we're saying we're praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If anyone praises you and says, MashaAllah, you donate a lot in charity toward the Islamic center because you really want to see these programs be successful, you can say, yes, I worked hard and I earned that money and then I donated it back. But we know deep down within our religion, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the razaq. And He is the one who sustains you with that wealth. And the fact that you have that money and that you donated, it's a means and a mechanism by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you to see if you're going to give in the way of God or no. My praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not the praise that I give to any individual. 
my praise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Oh Allah, you are so majestic and you are the all-powerful and you are the all-generous and there is no generosity but your generosity and there is no majesty but your majesty and there is no beauty but your beauty and there is no love but your love and there is no perfection but you. It's to differentiate when we are praising Ahlul Bayt and we say that there is no creation and no generosity like the generosity of God's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam it's a completely different praise and the praise that we give toward God's generosity. What we give on a human level is far different than what we give on a level of the Divine. So, when we're talking about the dhikr and the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're talking about a state of praising God and demonstrating to our own hearts and to our own souls and to our own beings that there is no one worthy of worship but Him. And within our traditions, we're taught exactly how to do that. And again, though it's the recitation and the singing of the tongue, it's about understanding with the heart. When we say Allahu Akbar, it's translated as God is great. But in reality, for those of you who know the Arabic language, it's actually translated as God is greater. God is greater than what? One day a man, he came to Imam al-Sadiq and he said, O grandson of God's prophet, what does it mean when we say Allahu Akbar, God is greater? He says, what do you think it means? He states, I think that it means Allahu Akbaru min kulli shay. That Allah is greater than everything. To which the Imam alayhi salam, he responds to him, that if you say that God, is greater, that God is greater than everything, that means you're comparing him to things. And we don't compare God to things. So say Allahu Akbar min ayyusaf. That Allah is greater than any description. That my understanding is so limited because I, as a human being, have, are bound by so many limitations that I can't understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I say that Allah is, great, is greater than, that Allah is beyond all description. And he states then, what does it mean when we say Alhamdulillah? All praise or all thanks due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I mentioned this the other night, that when we are saying, Oh Allah, all praises and all thanks are due to you, in reality, true thankfulness to Allah is saying, Oh Allah, all thanks and all praise is due to you, for you have given me the ability to be thankful to you, and even the ability to say thank you deserves your thanks. That does so much toward humbling we are in the creation. What does it mean when we say Subhanallah, all glory be to Allah? No, we're saying all submission, oh Allah, is due to you, for you are the high and I am the low. Anta Rahman wa anal marhum, fahal yarhamur marhuma illa Rahman. That, oh Allah, you are the all merciful, and I am the one who needs mercy. And who will have mercy upon the one who needs mercy except for the all-merciful? And this brings me toward the second phase 
of my discussion for this evening. And that's in regards to the different levels of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And try to focus on these six levels. And if you have the opportunity, then note them down, write them down, reflect upon them, and do your best toward understanding the levels of God's remembrance. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, Allah bitatma'innal. That surely God's remembrance will allow for the hearts to find rest. When we go toward looking at the traditions of Ahlul Bayt, we find again that there are these six levels of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first one of these levels are what is known as al-hudur. Or in other words, to be in the state where you're feeling God's presence, or even less than that, to just be yourself and to be present in that moment of God's remembrance. Let me give you an example. Today, you're all here listening to this majlis in honor of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salatu That although every single one of us are physically present in the Islamic Center at New York University, 238 Thompson Street, on this Tuesday evening at 8.48 p.m., we are all physically present. How many of, you, how many of us are mentally present? How many, of you, how many of us are spiritually present? How many of us are focusing what I'm, on what I'm saying right now? And how many of us are completely clueless because your mind is wandering and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You have really long days, you're all tired, you haven't slept that well in the last week or so. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, all I'm saying is there's a difference between someone who is present and someone who is not present. When someone comes to you with a difficulty, when someone speaks to you about a problem that they're going through, it's really important that we're present in that gathering. You can be physically present and listen to them giving you all of their challenges and speaking to you about their difficulties, but potentially you might not have the presence of mind or the presence of heart. And when they're telling you what they're telling you, and, they're t- and when they're telling you what they're telling you, your mind is not really fixated to what it should be or where it should be at. Please recite one salawat. So the first state of God's remembrance, the first state of God's remembrance is to be in the state of physical, spiritual, mentally feeling the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the point of prayers, at the point of making dua, when you're fasting during the month of Ramadan. The second level of God's remembrance is what is known as fat. It's fine. If he's not going to come. The second level of God's remembrance is what is known as fat. Or what is known as understanding. How many of us when we're praying, when we're making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we know what we're saying? If you don't know, then we should know. If you don't know what it means when we say, Sama'allahu liman hamidah, when you stand up from ruku, you know what it means when we say, Sama'allahu liman hamidah? We say, Subhana Rabbi al-Azimah wa bihamdah. We stand up from ruku before we go into sujood. We say that Allah hears the one who praises him. That's what we say. So what are you supposed to say after that? You're supposed to praise him. But we just say, 
Allah remembers the one, or Allah hears the one who praises him, and then we say, Allahu Akbar, and he goes straight down. Allahu Akbar in itself is a praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But to understand the spiritual station that you're in, when you stand from the state of rukur, in reality is really powerful. When you're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every single day in your prayers, and you say, Maliki Yawmiddin, Master of the Day of Judgment. I'm standing in front of you, O Lord, and you are the Master of that Day of Judgment. And I testify that you are the master of that day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, I'm going to stand in front of you. And I'm going to say, oh Allah, you are the master of this day. And I proclaim that every single day within my prayers. So have mercy on me on this day. How many of us are in that state when we say, Maliki Yawmiddin, that we're seeking God's mercy and compassion on that moment of our prayers, but also transmitting that remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. So the second level of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to understand what you're saying. And that brings us to the third level of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what is known as at-ta'zim. Or what is known as the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again means to know your role. It means to know your state. It means to know that you are an absolute and utter slave in a state of absolute and utter submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And someone who knows this has the potential to ascend to a level far higher than that of the angels. When you wear the ihram and you stand in Masjid Shajara and you call out Labaik, Allahumma Labaik, Labaik la sharika laka Labaik, inna alhamda wa na'mata laka wal mulk la sharika laka Labaik. You say, O oh my Lord, I am at your service, O oh my Lord. And I'm ready to submit to whatever it is that you have to say and whatever it is that you have obligated. And you leave the mosque of Masjid Shajara and you begin to make your way toward the holy city of Mecca. And when you stand outside of the Grand Mosque, Masjid Al-Haram, it's recommended that you state, Ilahi Abduka Bibabik. That, oh Allah, your servant is at your door. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you to circumambulate the holy Kaaba seven times and you say, oh Allah, if you said seven times, I say I'll do it sometimes. And oh Allah, if you said that I have to walk between the mounts of Safa and Marwa, then I'll walk between the mounts of Safa and Marwa. <coughs> and if you said I have to perform the Turaqat prayers behind Maqam Ibrahim, then I'll pray the Turaqat prayers behind Maqam Ibrahim. And if you told me that I have to go and worship you from the time of Dhuhr until the time of Maghrib in this barren plain of Arafah, then that's exactly what I'll do. 
And if you tell me that I have to go in the middle of the night to a land known as Muzdarifa and pick up rocks because that's what you said to do, then that's what I'll do. And if you told me that I have to throw pebbles at a really big rock seven times on the day of Eid and sacrifice an animal and shave this really, really pretty hair of mine, then that's what I'll do. Except, I didn't do it this year. <laughs> For those of you who got the joke, got the joke. For those of you who didn't attend the fundraiser, please donate. <laughs> and you guys missed the joke. <laughs> to know that you are in a state of absolute submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to know who you are. Men arafa nafsah, faqad arafa rabbah. The one who knows his self, knows his what? The one who knows his limitations, knows the lack of limitation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who knows his poverty, knows the wealth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who knows his need, knows that Allah is the all-giving. Which is why we state, La ilaha illa ant, subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimi. La ilaha illa ant, subhanaka inni kuntu min al-raghibin. La ilaha illa ant, subhanaka inni kuntu min al-khaifin. La ilaha illa ant, subhanaka inni kuntu min al-mukabbirin. La ilaha illa ant, subhanaka inni kuntu min al-musabbihin. These are the words of Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam as he recites on the day of Arafah in that most beautiful du'a. That, oh Allah, you are you, and I am the one who has to praise you. Oh Allah, you are the you are the Lord, and I am the one who is the sinner. Oh Allah, you are the Lord, and I am the one who has been negligent. Oh Allah, you are the majestic, and I am the servant. And you continue to speak of the praises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also admit your station in the eyes of God. And this is why the third state of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to be in a state of glorification or what is known as a ta'deen. And that brings me to the fourth level. And that is what is known as fear. We talked yesterday about life after death. Death is a scary thing because it's something that's very distant from us. And to be in a state of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I gave a whole talk about that last year for those of you who recollect. To be in a state of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not only the fear of death, is not only the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty, but the highest level of God's fear is to look within yourself and be worried that you might make a mistake and you don't want to make a mistake because you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala too much. And the same way we mentioned yesterday that I'm just scared that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask me, O Fayaz, why did you do that? Not that he's going to punish me even, but why did you think about committing that sin? Why did you speak to that person like that? Why did you look at that person like that? Why did you do what you did? Because I don't want to disappoint my Creator whom I love so much and whom I know loves me so much. But then that does not mean that one should also not be in the state of fear 
for one's eventual abode. And to always be balancing these two emotions, to desire to attain God's mercy on one level, but on the flip side, to be fearful of God's punishment. I cried for Imam al-Hussein, the grandson of the greatest of God's creation, and I know that that is worthy in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I know that God will reward me. But did those tears do anything to change my heart? That I prayed every single day, or if I have not prayed, then I'm starting to make an effort to pray. And I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees me praying, then you have to ask yourself the question, where is the sincerity in my prayers? That I went for Hajj, and I cried when I saw the Kaaba, and I was witness toward the plains of Arafah, and I made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I was in a state of emotion, and I was in a state of grief, and I was in a state of sincerity in that moment. But Hajj is supposed to transcend after you leave the plain of Arafah, it's supposed to change your life from the minute that you leave until the last days of your life. But I fasted 25, 30 months of Ramadan, and it was really hard, and I loved to eat, and I didn't drink coffee for all of those days. Allah, I swear to God, was witness to how difficult fasting is for me. <laughs> talking about myself. But... I used to always get angry when I was fasting and frustrated when I was fasting. And I used to not be nice to people when I was fasting. So how do I know that my fasting was accepted? To always be between these two emotions. To have hope in the mercy of God, but to also have the fear of his wrath. Which is why in dua Abu Hamza al-Thimali, Imam Zain al-Abideen alayhi salam, he states, Abki wa mali la abki. I cry and why should I not cry? Abki li khuruj nafsi. Abki li bulmata qabri. Abki li su'ali munkarin wa nakirin iyaai. Abki li dukhul dhalika al-bayt al-jadeed ghurbati. He says, I cry and why should I not cry? I cry for that moment when my soul is going to leave my body. I cry because of that moment when my family members are going to be surrounding me, preparing to wash my body. I cry because I'm fearful of that moment when they enter me into that grave and I'm going to be lonely. I cry because I'm scared of those two angels when they come to me and they begin to ask me all of those questions. To be in a state of fear is to be in a state of God's remembrance. As long as that fear strikes your heart and your soul and allows for it to transcend and take you to the next level of God's remembrance. And that brings us to number five, which is known as Raja, Or what it means to have hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After we're in the state of absolute fear of our Creator. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shadeed al-iqab. He will punish those very swiftly who commit acts of transgression. I also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is vast. Ilahi, anta sattar al-uyub, ghaffar al-bunub. That you are the one 
O my Lord, who covers my mistakes. And you are the one, O my Lord, who forgives all of my sins. And you have hope in the mercy and in the compassion and in the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whenever you commit a sin, you don't allow for yourself to fall into a state of depression. You don't allow for yourself to fall into a state of anxiety and you say, that's it, it's all over, I, I, just, I just can't do this anymore. You know, when you're trying to be a healthy person, you try to eat healthy, one day you come to our majalis over here and like there's all this rice and there's all of this oil, right? All over that, like curry and stuff like that. And you've been exercising, you've been eating really healthy, you've been drinking all those $15 kale smoothies every single day for lunch. And then you put that rice and you put that oily curry and you're like, I'm going to enjoy this meal. And then you ate that meal and you're like, oh man, what did I do? It's really bad what I just did. I've been so consistent for so many days. And then you get into such a state of depression. So when you leave the Islamic center and you're on your way to the train, you're like, might as well go to insomnia cookies. <laughs> might as well go and eat ice cream when I go home. I'm so depressed that I ate unhealthy. You just eat the whole gallon of ice cream. <coughs> because you feel that the door has closed for you. If I tell you what, man, just get back out. Drink that kale smoothie again tomorrow. <laughs> Bring one for me too. But when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you slip and when you fall, my friends, God is there, man. He's not going to leave you. And that's what it means to be in this state of God's remembrance. To know that He is Arhamur Rahimim. To know that He is Khayrul Ghafirin. To know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would forgive Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyahi on the day of Ashura. To know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is so incredibly vast, no matter how many times you fall, He's waiting for you to get back up. And to have hope in God's mercy in itself is a manifestation of His remembrance. And that brings me to the sixth, and the final, and the highest level of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But before I tell you, please recite one salawat ala Muhammad al The sixth level of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what is known as al-hayah. Or what is known as being shy or in a state of modesty and humbling yourself to your creator. To be in a state of understanding who you are and where He is. But to admit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whenever you commit a sin, whenever you miss Fajr prayers, whenever you start to realize and you start on this path toward knowing where you have made mistakes in the past, you look up at the sky and you raise your hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you say, oh Allah, I'm so embarrassed that I wasn't doing all of those things for so many years and I committed all of those sins or even if you were doing all of those things and you 
misfudger prayers this morning, and you feel a sense of embarrassment within your heart. You say, why did I misfudger prayers? Why did I do all of those things even 15, 20 years ago? I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave my sins. But what I'm embarrassed about is the fact that I actually did those things. You know that God is the all-merciful. You know that you have repented to Him on Laylatul Qadr many times. You know that you've sought forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that same sin in front of the Holy Kaaba. You've performed acts of forgiveness. You've turned your existence back to God. And you've completely changed your life. But even then, you feel shy. And you say, oh Allah, I don't know why I did that. And it keeps on coming back to you. And it keeps on bothering you. Again, not to the extent that you feel anxiety, but where you just feel like, oh Allah, remove every remnant of that sin from my heart and from my soul and pick me back up so that I'm able to be in the proximity of Muhammad and Wa'ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli To be in a state where, like Imam Zain al-Abideen alayhi salatu wasalam, in Dua Abu Hamza, this most beautiful supplication, he says, Oh Allah, I committed all of those sins, I admit that I did. I looked at things that I shouldn't have looked at, I touched things that I shouldn't have touched, I said things that I shouldn't have said. I ate things that I shouldn't have ate. I've performed so many acts of transgression and have gone way beyond your boundaries. Oh Allah, I admit that I did all of those things. But I didn't do it, oh Allah, because I wanted to challenge your authority. Oh Allah, nor did I do it because I don't believe in you. Oh Allah, I did it for one reason and one reason only. That's because I had hope in your mercy. And I knew that after I committed the sin, I was going to go back and repent to you. But the fact that I did what I did, I feel so bad about it now. So yes, I transgressed the boundaries of the Lord of the heavens and the earth. I transgressed the boundaries of the most majestic... (laughs) of those who have majesty, and the king of the kings. But, oh Allah, standing in front of you now, seeking your remembrance, seeking your praises, and seeking your mercy and compassion. And that's what it means to be in a state of God's remembrance. Very quickly, the third phase, or the third dis- dimension of my discussion, but tonight, inshallah, and I'll try to be quick, is in terms of understanding what the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yields. What benefit does it give to us? The benefit that the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us is being in a state of absolute contentment. It yields what is known as al-rida. It yields what is known as al-itmi'nan. Ala bi-dhikrillah tatma'innul qulub. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states that for those who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their hearts will be at rest. Their hearts will be in a state of happiness and of contentment that no matter what is happening around them, the only thing that they think about is God. On the day of Ashura, 
Imam Hussein alayhi salam, he fought so valiantly and he fought so courageously after he had lost all of the members of his family. To which one from amongst the army of Umar bin Sa'ad, he calls out, Unguru ilayhi, la yubalu bil mawt. Look at the way that Hussein ibn Ali is fighting today. He does not care about the fact that he's going to die in a few minutes. On the day of Ashura, when that six-month-old infant, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow night, was struck by that three-pronged arrow, do you know what Imam Hussein said? He said, Oh Allah, it makes it really easy for me that this is happening in my hands when I know that you are watching everything that is happening. Because when you are in the climate of feeling the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter what your financial situation is, no matter what your life situation is, you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has your back. You know that God is always with you. Allah ma'akum aynama kuntum. That He is with you no matter where you are. It's not that God leaves us, it's us that leave Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no matter how many times we fall, again like I've been saying so many times now, He also comes down with us. Metaphorically. Someone who is in the state of perpetual remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their hearts and their souls, they allow to reach levels of the angels. Whereby you're quick to always be in a state of God's remembrance in the good days and in the difficult days. Where you always see beauty and where you always feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the way that the Prophet alayhi salam he tells Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari that oh Abu Dhar Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you see Him. For even though you do not see Him, He sees you. And as Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam says, In dua arafa, Allahumma qshaka ka'anni araq. Oh Allah, allow me to be in a state of your remembrance and allow for me to be in a state of feeling your presence as if I see you. <coughs> and to be in a state like that companion, he narrates that when I saw Ja'far bin Muhammad and his Sadiq alayhi salam raising his hands in supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it was as if that he was begging to someone that was standing in front of him for some money. To feel, to understand, to glorify, to have hope, to have fear, to have modesty in the presence of your Creator. But tonight, my friends, is the night of the ninth of Muharram. And the epitome of someone who knows what it is to remember God is that boy who resembled his grandfather Muhammad. So channel your hearts with me, my friends my brothers and my sisters. Because these days, 
are so incredibly tragic and so incredibly bearing upon our hearts and our souls and our beings because of those arrows that struck the heart of Imam al-Hussein and in particular these two nights before the day of Ashura which struck the chest of Hussein more painfully than anything else more painfully than those physical arrows that struck him on the day of Ashura. But before I get to it, it is said that one day there was this Christian man who lived on the outskirts of the city of Medina. And he had a dream that Jesus came to him, Prophet Isa. And he said in his dream, Oh, old man, that you only have a few days left of living. Please submit toward my brother Muhammad. Become a Muslim and you will have attained absolute tranquility in paradise. Because of all of your deeds and all of your efforts, I'm giving you this advice. And at this moment, Jesus السلام, in the dream, he appears with the Holy Prophet Muhammad. السلام, and this Christian man, while he's sleeping, he sees the face of God's Prophet. And he wakes up. It is said he wakes up in a cold sweat. And he's wondering, what does this dream mean? So the next day he gets up and he leaves toward going to the city of Medina. Because he knows that the Prophet Muhammad, he was from the city of Medina. So he goes to Mr. the Nebawi, the mosque of the Prophet, and he asks the people, he says, Oh people of Medina, I'm here to visit Muhammad, your Prophet. He says, I want to become a Muslim because last night I saw in my dream that Jesus came to me and he instructed me to follow Muhammad. They said, oh, our Christian brother, we apologize, but our prophet Muhammad, he passed away 50 years ago. He passed away 40 years ago. The man fell into a state of depression. He says, and who am I supposed to take instruction from? What did my dream mean? They said, oh old man, we have a thought for you. That why don't you speak toward the grandson of Prophet Muhammad, a man by the name of Hussein. Imam al-Hussain was called. He sat in the mosque with this elderly man. They sat on the floor. He began to speak to him about the religion of Islam. He began to speak to him about the dream. Until finally he recited the shahada, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. And he became a Muslim. And at that moment, that man, he looked toward Imam al Hussein and he said, Your grandfather was the most beautiful man that I have ever seen in my life. And to put this in perspective, my dear brothers and sisters, within the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the beauty of Yusuf. And the beauty of Yusuf is explained that when the women of Egypt saw the beauty of Yusuf, they could no longer control themselves. And as they were cutting fruits, their eyes were so fixated on his face that they began to cut their fingers. Yet, the people of Mecca and Medina would say that, O oh Rasulullah, when we see you, it's more beautiful than the sight that the women of Egypt looked toward Yusuf. 
For when they saw Yusuf, they cut their fingers. When we see you, we'll take out our hearts and cut them in half in your way. And it is said that Imam al Hussein alayhi salam, he says, Oh my dear brother, do you wish and do you desire to see my grandfather Muhammad again? He said, I would love to see him. At this moment, Imam al Hussein alayhi salam, he looked behind and he called out to Ali Abunayya Ali. Come, taqaddam, approach, oh my dear son Ali. And the son of Imam Hussain alayhi salam was sitting and he stood up and he had a veil covering his face due to the sand and due to the sun of Arabia. And he uncovered his face and that man, he said, I swear to God that that is the face of your grandfather Muhammad. At this moment it is said that he's states that there is no beauty like the beauty of this boy's face. So Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam says, Oh my dear friend, he says, do you have a son? He says, yes, I have a son. He says, what would you do if your son had a little bit of a nail or a rock or something that pierced his finger and blood began to gush out? He said, my, the love that I have for my son is so intense, I don't know how I would bear that grief then Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam says, Then, oh my brother, let me tell you that only in a few years there's going to be a spear which strikes the chest of this beautiful son who resembles Muhammad on the day of Ashura and tell me how I'm able to bear that tragedy. By God, there was no difficulty for Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam like there was watching his son Ali and Akbar leave the tent on the day of Ashura. My dear friends, tonight is the night of the ninth of Muharram. If you cannot take out your tears tonight, then you're never going to be able to take them out. So imagine where Hussein was and what he had to encounter on that day. Adamallahu lakal ajr on this night where we weep for Ali al Akbar. Fatima bint al Hussein, who is one of the daughters of Imam al Hussein alayhi salam, she narrates that on the day of Ashura, my father died three times, or he entered into the state of al-ihtabar, the moments before death three times. And I'll tell you what, my friends, that every single one of these three moments, they were in regards toward Ali and al-Akbar. She states that the first time that my father Hussein died was when Ali and Akbar came to say his last farewell. The second time when my father almost died was when Ali and Akbar came to my father and said, that the thirst of Karbala is killing me. And the third time that my father almost passed away was when he saw Ali and Akbar's body cut up into pieces after the horses trampled on that body. It is said that on the day of Ashura, all of the companions of Imam al-Hussein had been killed. Ali al-Akbar, 26, 27 years old, he comes toward his father, Imam al-Hussein, and he says, Ya Aba, Halimin Ruqsa, do you give me permission to go and fight? Every single person on the day of Ashura, Imam al-Hussein told them no, and he made them beg before he allowed them to go. But Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam, 
He had to set an example on the day of Ashura. So when Ali and Akbar came, he didn't say no, he just looked at him. But how was he going to tell him yes? So I, so his eyes began to become overwhelmed with tears. And he embraces his son Ali and Akbar. He fell unconscious twice on the day of Ashura. The first time was when he saw Qasim leave. And the second time was when Ali and Akbar left. This said that he embraced Ali and Akbar. They fell to the ground. Imam al Hussein had fallen unconscious. Ali and Akbar, he stands up after a few moments. He looks toward his father, Aba Abdullah. He gathers his armor. He wears his helmet. He takes the sword and he goes into the tent and he begins to give the last farewell to his aunt, to his mother, toward all of his sisters. Ali and Akbar resembled the Prophet alayhi salam. And as Ali and Akbar was leaving the tent, Imam al Hussein calls out, Ilahi, Ishhad ala haula al qawm, Qad baraza ilayhim ghulaman, Qad ashbaha al nas, Khalqan wa khulqan, Wa mantiqan bi rasulillah. That oh Allah bear witness that this boy who is leaving my tent, he resembles the face. And, in, and he, he resembles the looks and the etiquette and the akhlaq of my grandfather, Rasulullah. Ali al-Akbar, he goes and he fights valiantly. But you know what was so painful, my friends, is that Imam al-Hussein, alayhi salam, for everyone else, he would stand at the closest level on that battlefield where he's able to see every detail about what was going to happen on the day of Ashura toward all of his family members, toward all of his companions. But when he saw Ali al-Akbar leave, he saw his beloved son leave, he couldn't feel his feet. So the Imam salam, kept falling on the ground. He would get back up and he would fall again. And he would get back up. Then he would fall again. And he would stand up and Layla, the mother of Ali al-Akbar, would see the face of Hussein. And whenever Imam Hussein would stand and he would be smiling, she knew that Ali al-Akbar was successful. But whenever Imam Hussein couldn't feel his legs and he would fall to the ground, she was worried, what is happening to my son? So it is said that she leaves the tent and she says, oh my husband Abba Abdullah, tell me what is happening to my son. I cannot bear to look at your face anymore. Imam al-Hussein says, I'm worried about my son. Oh Layla, go into the tent and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For I heard my grandfather Rasulullah say that the dua of the mother in a state of desperation will be accepted. So Layla, she enters into the tent and she raises her hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she says, Ilahi, oh my Lord who returned Ismail back to Hajar, oh my Lord who returned Yusuf back to Yaqub, I ask you, you know what she says, Ilahi as'aluka bi al-Husayn, I ask you by the loneliness of my husband Hussein, Ilahi as'aluka bi'atash al-Husayn, I ask you by the thirst of my husband Hussein, return my son back to me one final time. 
at this moment. It is said that Ali al-Akbar, he struck, he struck that man. That Imam al-Hussein was fearful, was going to kill him. And he, he rushes back toward the Imam alayhi salam. He alights from his horse. He embraces his father, Imam al-Hussein. Wallahi, this is the hardest part of it all. More than his killing. Do you know what he says to his father? He says, Ya Aba Abdullah, Inna la'atash qad qatalani. Inna la'atash qad qatalani. That the thirst of Karbala is killing me. Oh my father, if I have one sip of water, I will pierce the 30,000 from the army of weapons. So Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam, do you know what he does? He's a father who is desperate. He doesn't know what to do. He knows that his son is soon going to die. So he embraces his father and he takes his tongue and he places it in the mouth of Ali al-Akbar. And Ali al-Akbar walks backwards until he falls to the ground. And he says, oh my father, you are more thirsty than I. Barakallah. <laughs> He said that at this moment, Ali al-Akbar, he stands up. He says, oh my father, you are more thirsty than I. The imam doesn't know what to tell his son. He says, Bunay Ali, go toward the tent. Your mother is waiting for you. Your sisters are waiting for you. Your aunt Zainab is waiting for you. It is said that he goes into the tent. All of the family, all of the children, they embrace Ali al-Akbar. Sukaina comes and begins to kiss the hand of his bro her brother Ali al-Akbar and says, oh my brother, everyone has gone and no one is returning. Are you going to return. Ali al-Akbar cannot say anything to his sister. He looks toward his mother Ramla. He looks toward his mother Layla. He goes toward his aunt Ramla. He embraces his aunt Zainab. And then he goes at one final time. He gets back on his horse and he begins to ride toward the plains of Karbala. And when he's walking, when he's riding toward Karbala, Imam al-Hussein is walking behind him. Ali al-Akbar says, oh my father, relax, don't worry. I'll be okay. When Yusuf, when Yaqub let Yusuf go with his brothers, he had a hope that he was going to return. But Yaqub grieved until he became blind. When Abba Abdullah watched Ali al-Akbar go, he knew that he was not going to return. Imagine the grief on the heart of your master. Imagine the grief on the heart of Abba Abdullah. Ali al-Akbar goes out and he begins to call out these lines. Ana Ali ibn al-Hussein ibn Ali. Nahnu wa baytullah awla bin Nabi. Adribukum bil sayfi ahmi an abi. Dharaba ghulamin hashimiyin alawi. Until he killed 120 people. All of a sudden a man came and he took a spear and he struck it through the chest of Ali al-Akbar. All of a sudden another man came and he struck the head of Ali al-Akbar. The helmet broke. The blood began to gush from the head of Ali al-Akbar. And the blood began to fall on the eyes of the horse. And instead of going into the tent of Imam al-Hussein, it went into the tent of Umar ibn Zad. One man came and he struck Ali from the right. Another man came from the left. Ali al-Akbar, he calls out, Abba, alayka minni salam. Oh my father, come and help me, Hussein. Hussein, come and help me 
Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam, he gets on top of his horse and he begins to ride toward his son Ali al-Akbar. Ali al-Akbar is on the left side of the battlefield, but Imam al-Hussein rides toward the right side. So Kayna, she comes out of the tent and she says, Oh my father, Aba Abdullah, you're going the wrong way. Imam al-Hussein says, La talumini, Ali. How can you blame me? That's my son Ali. Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam he approaches the body of Ali in al-Akbar but he can't feel his legs after he's seen it he tries to get down from the horse but he doesn't know how so the narrator says that I saw Hussein struggling he could not feel himself at this moment so he pushed himself off the horse and he landed on the body of Ali in al-Akbar he looked toward his son Ali in al-Akbar and he calls out these lines. He says, Ya Bunaya in dunya ba'da Oh my son, the world after you is worth absolutely nothing. I'll leave the rest of this tragedy for the day of Ashura. But let me just tell you this one narration, my friends. Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam was sitting on the ground with his son Ali. And he looks toward his father, his face is full of blood, and he says, Oh my father, Abba Abdullah, I want you to do one favor for me. I want you to go and take my body back toward my mother, and take my body back toward my aunt, and I want you to take my body back toward my sister, and tell them that I'm sorry. So Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam, he removes the cloak and he tries to pick up his son Ali al-Akbar. But one of the narrators stated that when he tried to pick up the body, he picked up the right side, but the left side fell because of how decapitated the legs and the limbs of Ali al-Akbar were. So he had to drag the body of Ali al-Akbar behind the tent, his own son that he raised for 25, 26 years. Ya Hussein 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 